0: and fellowship together, but with the idea in mind, we want to focus a little bit on what this day signifies and what it stands for. How do you describe time and life? How do you put the two together? We are living, physical, flesh and blood, human beings bound to time. We cannot escape that. Some of us have more time under our belts than others. Just look at us. Some of us are fairly young. Just look at the size, and all of us pass through it from start to finish. Some have a shorter lifespan than others. Some live long. Some, well, all of us live a short time. I mean, as kids think, old people are, have lived long, but we would we would we would debate that. Wouldn't agree. The older you get, the shorter time gets. Agree? Yeah. The older you get, the shorter. It it just compacts more. All of a sudden, you wonder, where did it all go? Anne and I are at that stage in life now where we just get done packing the Christmas stuff away, the the thing, and and we barely get it shoved out. Okay, take it out again. And And I'm not saying it's bad. It's just how life goes. I want to speak on the topic of time. And as the title says, Learning to Number Our Days... Writers use word, word imagery of various types to s- explain this, this concept of time and events in our lives. And I remember years ago watching a video, a history video where this, uh, this, um, one of the characters wanted to describe life. And he had a piece of cloth and I brought a piece of cloth with me today. I asked Anna if she could find one and she did. And so this is one of the sewing circle pieces of cloth here. And so let's say this thing here, represents your life. All kinds of nice little pictures on there. Now, the downside with this particular piece of fabric, the pictures are painted on after the fact. But when weavers produce a piece of cloth, they very carefully choose the threads that go into the cloth. They have many, many spindles of cloth that they put together, and there's a machine that brings these threads all together, and then there's a shuttle that goes back and forth with the cross threads. And so when it's all said and done, you have a nice piece of cloth. What the actor on the video was, and the movie was saying was that you only need one bad thread, and the customer will reject the whole piece. You need one bad thread, and you look at it, That thread is bad. So who wants to wear a shirt with a bad thread in there? Who wants to wear a dress with a bad thread? Nobody does. And sometimes we mistake things for bad that are not necessarily bad. We just think they are bad. They're just different. Our lives are made up of many different threads we call time and life. They're not all the same. Some are colored. Some are plain. Some are bright. Some are very ordinary. Some look beautiful, some don't. In a time like this, in a day like today, when we're we've just wrapped up 2018, we're at the threshold of uh, we're just into the threshold now of 2019, and we want to focus on that a little bit this morning. I found a poem just recently. It's called "The Loom of Time," and there's no author given; it's anonymous. But it goes like this: Man's life is laid in the loom of time to a pattern he does not see while the weavers work and the shuttles fly till the dawn of eternity. Some shuttles are filled with silver threads and some with threads of gold, while often but the darker hues are all that they may hold. But the weaver watches with skillful eye each shuttle fly to and fro and sees the pattern so deftly wrought as the loom moves sure and slow. God surely planned the pattern. Each thread, the dark and fair, is chosen by his master skill and placed in the web with care. He only knows its beauty and guides the shuttles which hold the threads so unattractive as well as the threads of gold. Not till each loom is silent and the shuttle cease to fly shall God reveal the pattern and explain the reason why. The dark threads were as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver for the pattern which he planned. Today we're standing at the doorstep of 2019. In a way, this is just an ordinary day, no different than any other. But for us as human beings, we measure life and time, in years and seasons. And today's the start of a new one. We have no idea what kind of threads will be woven into the fabric of our lives. We have no idea, have no clue. Some will be beautiful, some will be plain, some will be joyful, and some will be painful. Some will be difficult, some will be easy. Whatever it may be, these are given to us, maybe beyond our control. Some of the strands, we do have uh, control over, we make choices, and they become part of our lives. Others will be dealt to us. We have no way of knowing what they will bring. We have no control. But one thing we do have in common, each one of us, we choose to respond to these events that will happen in our lives. There's no escaping this. The day you're born, you're in time. The day you die, you exit time. It's as simple as that and as difficult as that. We have some very young ones here. Our little grandson, he's not even a year old yet. Well, he's a year old, almost two years old, sorry. I'm losing time already. He was just born yesterday, in my mind. Anyway, this whole concept of time, we're in it. And as you grow older, you become aware of it. You know what young people mistake, and I'm not trying to bash young adults and young people here, but you have somehow the idea you're going to live forever. You don't say it. I know you're not saying it. And you would deny it if I told you to believe that. But some, Yeah, we're going to die someday, but for now we'll live forever. That's the mindset that the young adults of our day and children have. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it's that's the reality. Yeah, we'll die someday, but that's beyond forever. After I've lived forever, then I'll die. And there's no concept of the brevity and the shortness of time. And you know how I know that? Because the choices they make. The things they do. I'm not saying, I'm not saying you guys are bad. I'm just saying because the the way we plan, I was there too. I I did the same thing. Just who we are. But you know what? The apostle James, and this won't go on the overhead. I have some verses later on. We'll do some quite a bit of reading, but the apostle James says, he says, life is like a vapor. If I had a cup of coffee, you'd see the, the mist rising, the vapor rising, the steam rising. James says, life is like a vapor. It's like this. It just disappears and it's gone and it's, it's it's gone. I sometimes drive by a cemetery and I look at the at the gravestones and I see these gravestones. And I, go, I wonder how much that stone cost. Oh, that stone's about uh, sixty years old. Nobody ever goes visits these places. You go visit graveyards? Maybe you have a loved one, then you do. I visit the graveyard where my father is buried and where our daughter Rebecca is buried. Uh, yeah, I do go visit grave, the graveyard there. But generally speaking, out of sight, out of mind. It's but we but it is it is reality. The life was the life came the life went and it's gone it's no more those of us who are a bit older are very aware how fragile life has become it's a mist it rises and is gone so quickly just last week Anna and i were visiting folks in elmer and my brother-in-law told a story just what happened to him recently a dear friend of his just a bit older than he was um, healthy strong vibrant plans in life doing stuff going places doing things like that. Suddenly he got sick. And I think three weeks he was gone. Had the funeral just after the holiday. Well, between Christmas and New Year, that's when the funeral. And we've experienced it in our own church here. Um, maybe not so sudden, but a uh, dear brother of ours passed away last November in this church. He was still very young. So I want to read for us this morning, Psalm 90 verse 12. It's on the, power, it's on the overhead here. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, Teach us... To number our days. Is that on the par Psalm 90 verse 12. And I, th- I want to focus on this passage just for a little bit. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. The value of understanding the nature of time is so foundational to our lives. Nobody knows how many days they have. All we know is that we are alive today. We do not know about tomorrow. And so this question or this statement teaches to number our days to to get a heart of wisdom. How can you number what you don't know how much you got left of? I, I puzzle about that a little bit. No one knows how much time they got left. Moses wrote this. I don't know if I've even got all of today. Never mind another 30 years if I have the average lifespan. And I can for sure not know how many days I will live in this world. It just doesn't work. So how can a person number something, they don't know how much of it he's got? If I'm supposed to learn to number my days, it must mean something else. What I do believe is that this writer is simply saying to God, teach me to be aware, teach me to consider. Teach me to think, to meditate on the significance and value of the time that I have to use it wisely and not waste it. So a valid question before we start digging into the depths of our sermon this morning would be this. What do you live for? I want to ask you this question and myself as well. What do you live for? What is the real core value of your heart? If that was unplugged, if that particular thing didn't exist, okay, and life is not worth living, I'll just I'll throw up my hands and die. If What is that central core thing? And some people, I don't think, even know what it is. I'm reminded of the old movie called um, Miracle on Ice, where a team of young hockey players in the States, I think it happened in the 80s, I'm not mistaken, some of you know the story better than I do, they played a game against the soviets back then it was the soviet union and the interesting thing about this this uh, hockey te- hockey game um was the american team won the game what what i found so fascinating about this event's true story how it unfolded you see these young american ho- college age hockey players they had been taught to take the game seriously. They had to be taught to take this game seriously. In the initial stages when Coach Herb Brooks put the team together, they were very, we could say, arrogant. They were proud, self-confident, didn't take the game seriously. Yeah, we're supposed to play the Soviets, but yeah, we'll get there. We'll do it. We'll eventually get there. And Herb Brooks made no exceptions. You have to give, give it all or you're not going to be part of the team. And so they, he said, we're going to win or lose as a team. And so with hard work and dedication and practice and practice and practice and playing against other teams, this uh, coach drilled into these young men the idea of, of commitment, of dedication, of sacrifice and loyalty and perseverance. And they all as one unit had one goal in mind. We're going to win the game. We're going to win the game. And they did. The American team was made up of young college hockey, um, hockey players who had less than a year together as a team, while the Soviet team was made up of veterans who had played together for many years, um, I think something like some of them are 16 years or so. Why do I give this illustration? God never made you or me to, work in, to live in isolation independent of anybody else. We are human beings built for relationship. One of the things that we're going to have to do if we're going to start numbering our days, if we're going to start valuing what God has put us here for, we're going to start valuing the things God values. One of them is is relationship with one another. So I want to ask again, how do you want to live 2019? Would you like to move into the boonies somewhere by yourself, just all by yourself? I don't bother nobody, nobody bothers me. Or would you like to immerse yourself in the lives of those around you who need you, who can benefit from the gifts God's blessed you with? And when we bring our skills, our talents, our resources and abilities together, there's no telling what God will do. I was thinking about this last night and today and yesterday as I was pondering the sermon this morning. What would happen if all of a sudden the church of Jesus Christ in this world would become that one solid entity, that one solid body, unified in heart and soul, serving Christ, glorifying Christ with all they have and all they can do? The world wouldn't stand a chance. But because we're so divided, and so self-focused, and so fragmented, and all the rest of it, Satan has easy pickings. And it's not that some of us are not counting days. Oh, we're, we're counting days, all right. I mean, some are counting the days toward getting their driver's license. How long will that take? Some are counting the days toward finishing school, university, or college. Or some the days toward getting married. Or when they'll have children. Some when the children will leave home. Some when they'll be able to retire. I'm not saying these things are sin. They're valid in and of themselves. But if these things are what we're looking forward for the soul of selfishness, self-motivation, self-motives, I want what's, what benefits just me, then I have bad news. We're focusing on ourselves and we'll find it all empty and hollow and meaningless and useless. I've seen it, friends. I've seen it in the lives of people who are now old, who are disappointed how life has turned out, and sad but true, some of these very same people, they're mentally blind, not physically, but mentally blind. They just, oh, I just got a bad card in life. And if I had been dealt a better card, life would be meaningful, fulfilling, and purposeful, but now it's not. And so they have this, this victim mentality. Earthly dreams are not wrong. Dreaming to be a farmer is not wrong. Dreaming to be an engineer is not wrong. But if what is moving that, if what's fueling that, if what's driving that is selfishness, then it has a dead end to it. So this morning, we want to look at a character in the Bible who got everything going for him, and he messed up royally, big time, the man Solomon. He wrote several books. He wrote Proverbs. We believe he wrote... um, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and I want to read some verses that he wrote, and we'll do quite a bit of reading this morning, in Ecclesiastes chapters 1 and 2. And so let's just begin with reading Ecclesiastes chapter 1, beginning verse 1. Is it not coming up there? Okay, there we are. The words of the preacher the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north, Around and around goes the wind, and on its surface the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done There's nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. I said in my heart, come now. I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity. Striving after wind, there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten, how the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity in a striving after wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he'll be a wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I have toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner he has given the busyness of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Thus far from the Word of God. Some of you now by now are all depressed, discouraged. This book is a difficult book to read. It's exhausting. it's um, in some ways depressing. And some of you might now ask, "Why in the world would you as Pastor choose to read that on New Year's Day?" Why? There is a reason: experience. I see this being repeated so many times in the lives of so many people, across our culture. people racing like a mouse in a in a cage in a in a cage wheel desperately trying to succeed in in, in a variety of things the things are not sin in of themselves but the motive with which they chase them this passage talks about so much by the way i would encourage you go home read the whole book because toward the end there's a positive um, thing that comes out and solomon wrote this we believe toward the latter end of his life when he'd experienced it all done it all been there done that and life left him empty The reason I wanted to read this part, and again, it would be good to read the whole book, but we don't have time, is because of the one key phrase that I'm sure you caught, and it was, under the sun. mentioned nine times in this short passage. If you read the whole book, you find you find it 28 times. Why is that important? Because if a person decides to live their life under the sun, meaning horizontally, outside of God, then one day this is what they get. Solomon shares his experiences. It's his life story, what he went through, what he did. He's the only person we know in recorded history who achieved every single one of his dreams. Some of us don't even achieve one. He achieved every single one of his dreams. He said, nothing my eyes desired did I deny myself. Everything I wanted, I got. Everything I wanted, I achieved, I accomplished. And it's vanity. It means nothing. Oh, if I could only pay off my mortgage, I would be happy. If I only got that raise, I'd be happy. If I only was able to, and then on and on and on, we go, no, it's not like that. He started out good as a young king. Asked for wisdom. and God gave him wisdom and wealth and, and abundance more than anybody before him. But then... As time went on, he started focusing on this stuff, and women were his downfall. So when he uses the phrase under the sun, he has a horizontal view of life. Basically, he's saying, as far as the here and now is concerned, everything is empty. As far as the here and now is concerned, nothing lasts, nothing satisfied, nothing fulfills. As far as the here and now is concerned, nothing has true value, true meaning. You know why? Because it's temporary, it ends, it's soon finished. And it's not because he tried and failed, no, he tried and he succeeded. So many in life try and try and try and just don't make it and base their misery on that. Well, I didn't make it. If I'd made it, I'd be happy. No, you won't. He calls it vanity. Earthly success outside of God is vanity. And we don't have time this morning to go into each individual category by itself, but think about this for a moment. He was richer than Bill Gates. He is more famous than the most famous celebrities. He had more power than kings or, 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 or rulers of countries. He had flocks, he had herds, he had music, he had entertainment—you name it, Solomon had it. He made it his goal to try it, and it didn't work. Whether it was money, women, wine, nothing left him empty. Always empty. You think, once I get to that stage, I'll be happy. No, you won't. It'll leave you empty, hurt and in pain. Whether it's an education, whether it's money, whether it's a recognition and power, it doesn't work. The simple truth is this. If God is left out of your life, there's an empty vacuum, there's an emptiness there that nothing can fill. And you'll find out this thing becomes very ugly. It doesn't look beautiful anymore. And all of a sudden, it just changes, and you find it has no value and no use and no purpose anymore. It becomes useless. So let me come back to the question I started out with. What do you live for? Who do you live for? There's other characters in the Bible. I'll mention one briefly, the Apostle Paul. He was just the opposite. Solomon started out good, finished Poorly started out great had all the right intentions all the right ideas and somehow got derailed that's the danger we face getting derailed or we start out good and then we derail but there's a man who was derailed at the beginning but then got on track and we talk about him we read about him he's a great character the apostle paul he had this idea that i'm going to be a jewish pharisee i'm going to be a good pharisee and he was not evil in the idea that i'm going to be an evil man no he wanted to please god but totally full of pride and self-righteousness and zeal and, and he was going to be a good jew a good pharisee he was going to do everything right he was going to please god and earn heaven and all that rest and he was and everybody else was bad he was so to speak a good man and then he got sight of jesus he met jesus And everything became secondary to him. Not that the law was bad or that the Jewish traditions were sinful. No, no. It's just meaningless. And then he followed Jesus and his life came on track. And he says in Philippians, and he says, I consider everything garbage. Everything's garbage compared to knowing Jesus Christ. See, it comes down to this, what I said at the beginning, relationship. Solomon went from relationship with God to as under the sun. Paul went from under the sun to Jesus Christ. If God is left out of your days, you will be empty. So let me come back again to the question. Who do you live for? Now, if Solomon could do his life over again, would he do it different? Probably. But I have news for you. Today can be the first day of the rest of your lives. Obvious statement, I know. But today is the first day of the rest of your lives. What are you going to do? Teach us to number our days, to gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. How do we do that? Always keep God at the center of everything. Make yourself this commitment. You will never waver from the loyalty to Christ. So in this new year, focus on who gives you your days, who's given you this thing called time and life. Hold that in balance. So I want to bless you as a congregation this morning, all of us together, for 2019. Let's get out of the rat race. Let's take time for what God has eternal value. I'm not saying quit your job. I'm not saying you can't work overtime. But with balance and measure, when you hit the end of life, what do you want to be remembered for? What do you want to stick out then? You know what I know for sure will be important then? Relationships. First, your relationship with God and the relationship with your family. When Paul was in the valleys of struggles of life, he was following Jesus. He came to a point where he said, and this again in the book of Philippians, he says, it doesn't matter. If I die, I go home to be with Jesus. If I stay, I'm going to keep serving. It doesn't matter. Either way, I'm a winner. And that can be the reality for you and me today. This fabric of life, God has designed it beautifully, and it's great, it's gorgeous, he's created it, but we must choose what we allow in it. We must decide how we're going to respond to what life throws at us. If anything, let's not let Satan take over. Jesus wants to rescue us from the very things the world is trying to tell us we must have. I want to read one final verse out of Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All these things are secondary. Make God primary. And in that knowledge and that assurance and that conviction, that commitment, that dedication, let's go forward into 2019, trusting God will guide us. Whether we come out at the other end or meet up in heaven, doesn't matter. What matters is we've been following Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this morning. Thank you for this new year, 2019. It's a gift from you which we did not earn. You don't owe us anything. You've given us time. You've given us life. You expect us to use it for your glory and for your honor. So as we live into 2019, worshiping, celebrating, and serving, may we do so to your glory and honor and to the blessing and benefit of our fellow human beings and walk in relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.